This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Ooh, I think I see the comparison that I believe sticks out most to Matthew Stafford. Stafford is number seven on Mike Sandos' uh, career uh, quarterback tiers. It's number seven. Russell Wilson is number four behind Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. He's just ahead of Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen. Stafford is in at number seven. And we kind of started, it kind of came out of nowhere, but that discussion about whose career does Matthew Stafford most resemble? And we kicked around a couple names. Let me read through the text because I think there's a couple that are pretty good. Is Stafford just a more palatable Jay Cutler that comes from the 206? Well, significantly more palatable, right? Because a lot of people could not stand that guy's attitude to the point where I think it did affect people's opinion of his actual talent. Couldn't question his talent. That guy had a cannon for an arm. That's not the issue with Stafford, though, right? It's not that Stafford is indifferent. Like, if, if, you, if you chalked up Jay Cutler's, it's smoking Jay Cutler, that he was just relatively, like, sitting there, like, indifferent to whatever happened and was not, for lack of a better— and I always get skeptical when I hear talk about people talk about the personality of a winner or demanding. But that was the knock on Cutler. That's not Stafford, right? I would say if, if I— the question I've always had about Matthew Stafford is he a guy whose statistics are empty calories? Mm. You see this a lot in the NBA where it's a guy on a bad team who averages 23 to right. 25 points. It's a monster scoring. Right. Huge. And, and everybody looks at him. He's like, if you put him on a good team, and I was like, now if you put him on a good team and asked him to be a consistent, to consistently score 18 on a good team, he can't do it. But can he score 25 on a bad team nobody cares about? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's the empty calories. Somebody's, and I've wondered and felt that maybe Matthew Stafford is the empty calorie statistic guy of the NFL. The, the Lions don't really matter. He chalks up a lot of stats in garbage time because they have to throw to come from behind. He'll throw for 5,000 yards and he and Megatron, but he's never consistently won. He's made the playoffs twice, and in neither case did they win a playoff game. One of those, there's a questionable call that could have been pass interference that ended up against the Cowboys, and they and they lost. But yeah, he's never never consistently won. Someone else suggested Dan Marino. Is is that what Marino was? Marino won more than that, and I always felt that Marino's team, and maybe this is the similar, that Marino is the best case for Stafford in that he just was in a bad situation, and he if if you put Marino on a winner, if you put Marino on Elway's team. Would we have seen him win like Elway? Like very much possible. And now we're going to see Stafford put in a better situation. But Marino did elevate the level of the Dolphins' play to a point where, over the course of his career, if you take a look at the amount of losing seasons he had, it's like yep. two. You know, two. No he matter what that talent Bowl. was around, right? And it was early he won, on. He won playoff games. He mattered, and his team mattered. In a way that the Lions have not. And in one of the seasons where Marino had a losing record as a starter, they still made the playoffs. They just got destroyed like 60 to nothing or whatever the final score was against the Jacksonville Jaguars in those playoffs. I think it was 99. When, uh, the- Carson Palmer. That was suggested by the 206. Hmm. But that would... Palmer, I always felt, was overrated. And, like He had the good season at first with 
the Bengals. Then there was a time where I was like, wait a second, okay, maybe he's not good at all. And then he has a couple of good years in Arizona, and everyone's like, oh, he's a Hall of Famer now. And I was like, what? He's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I've always wondered if you put him in a better situation. He had a really bad knee injury at the end, at the end, in the playoff game of his first season as a starter, right? Right. He ends up suffering that that playoff, the injury in the playoffs. Kimo Von Olhoffen rolls into his leg after a throw 2005. And he played for a terrible franchise in the Cardinals. Or, I'm sorry, the Bengals. And if you put him on a normal franchise, if you put him on a better franchise, and took that his career was, was, was altered by that, I think I feel differently about him now, though. I think I feel like he was a guy that kind of shrunk in the big moments. Yeah, I think he He was- had opportunities to win, and, and there was some success, but... What I remember most about his time in Arizona at the end was that they kind of couldn't come through in the clutch, like the playoff losses, whether it was losing to Aaron Rodgers on the hill, like those that that's how I feel about I, that. That I think is the story about Carson. That's Palmer, closer is that to would, Romo, though, isn't it? I mean, that's not. Yeah, that, I, I feel like those two, at least as far as having done anything of note in the playoffs are way ahead of Stafford because they've at least. They've had some games that they were there, and it's not just like what two with Stafford, where they lose to the they lose to the Seahawks and they lost to the Cowboys. That's that's the one you just said. The name that I think Stafford most resembles is Tony Romo. Ah oh, man, I don't know about that one because there was hype. There was hype. There was hype with Stafford that I don't think was necessarily existing with Romo. Really, Romo well, before no, is a I'm Cowboy not, quarterback. I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about the pedigree. They're clearly different. Tony Romo enters the league as an undrafted free agent, and Matthew Stafford is the number one pick in the draft. Their careers, and when they got acclaimed, and how they both, that in both cases, their, later in their, league, career. their league-wide reputation and their stats are counterbalanced by the, but he didn't win enough. Tony Romo's statistics are incredible. Yeah. And he plays for a really important franchise, and he's at the top of almost every, we'll see if Dak Prescott gets there. But that that dude racked up stats. He did. I I wouldn't go with Romo if if I had to pick one. It's really difficult to I think pick one. There's a lot of ones that you could go down the road of. If if Sam Bradford had not been injured as much as he was over the course of his career in that St. Louis situation, which was a awful organization. If you ever hear Chris Long talk about it on his podcast, he always says this was just. Just unbelievably bad, but no one cared, so I guess no one really focused on how awful that they had been for such a long period of time before they moved to L.A. I think that Bradford you could make an argument for, because he never really raised that level, but everyone always talked about how good he was as a quarterback. I think Stafford's a better version of of Sam Bradford, and I hate to say this word, but tougher version of Sam Bradford. I, I, I think that Stafford's been, of anything, incredibly tough as a quarterback, and I, I do respect his toughness. I just don't know that he should be made to be this guy that's a game-changer when, you know, he's never he's never done it. He's never elevated the level of a team around him the, to the degree that even, like, a Matt Ryan has, you know? I mean, Matt Ryan won an MVP. We got a text from the 509, and this was relating to the quarterback tears, and this gets us back to Russell Wilson. 509 says, I love the Seahawks and love Russell Wilson, but i take Josh Allen ahead of him. Mm. Nobody really feels that way, right? No, I don't think he so. He had a better year last year. Josh Allen did. Josh Allen had a better year than Russell last year, and and the Bills the Bills went farther. But nobody, 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 nobody really. If you got a if you got a heads up choice between the two, even saying, "Hey, going forward," and Russell's an older player, and Josh Allen's younger, and all of that, 
You're not choosing Josh Allen ahead of Russell Wilson. We've not been a particularly friendly Josh Allen program, but we have given him credit for what he did last year. I still think that it remains to be seen how Josh Allen, a guy who played at Wyoming, is going to do when there are people back in the stands. I I wonder about that. I wonder about pre-snap adjustments and all the things that he's going to be able to do. I know that they have a great offensive coordinator in Brian Dable, but are they going to be able to do some of the same things that they did last year when there are people in the stands? It was empty for him for much of the season. That is something I, I wonder about. To take him over Russ is entirely about you believing in his potential and his ability to improve. You No, you look at him and say what he did the last eight games of last season, what he did in 2020, is what will be going forward, right? It's, not, it's, not, it's saying that that is, he figured it out, he's taken the leap, there's no turning back. I'm not sold on that yet. I, I, I am not sold on I thought Josh Allen was extremely tough. I think he's got a huge arm. Like, he's got all of this. I, I don't think he's going to be able to replicate that. I think that was a hitter who gets hot and has a career stretch. I think that's a three-point shooter who's on fire and can't miss. I, I do not believe that Josh Allen, going forward, I don't expect him to have a better year than Russell Wilson this season. I don't expect him to have a better next five years than Russell Wilson, even though he's younger and really kind of just starting to enter his prime. I, I, I think that was the outlier. What we saw last season was as good as it's going to get for Josh Allen. Yeah. Maybe. You know, I, I, can't, I can't definitively say that. I, I think that... I think that he's got some potential to improve. He, he did show just a lot more care with the football. Mm-hmm. Now, let's see in the playoffs next time around because the games that they played against Kansas City last year, first off, one of them, what was it? It's, was it a Tuesday night game? It was like, or a Monday afternoon game? Whatever it was, it was it, the weather was terrible and it, it, Allen looked awful in that game. And then the AFC Championship game, he definitely looked human. And then in that game against um, uh, Baltimore, too, in the second round of the playoffs, I mean, he didn't do anything on offense. It was that 100-plus yard pick six that, that Buffalo had that was really the, the difference in that game. So there's definitely a lot left to prove for Josh Allen, and that's why it's good that they did not, in this quarterback rankings, vault him over Russ. I, I don't think he can quite do that yet. Maybe, but I'm not ruling out the possibility because I, I still want to see how Russ does, first off in this offense, but also how Russ does as his mobility decreases sustaining excellence I think is the hardest thing in the NFL I I think it's I think you have a lot of teams and a lot of players that can be great for one year and I think for a variety of reasons it's harder to sustain it than it is to flash you see a lot of teams that bounce up and have a 13 and 3 a 12 and 4 season and that's as good as it gets being good and sustaining that success is harder and I think it's for two reasons a Successful teams lose pieces. The league is built that way. The league is built so that you get pirated, so you get picked apart, so that when you have a successful team, everybody looks at you and says, okay, the spending's limited. We're going to go, we're gonna go take, take pieces that helped make you successful because we want that success. And the second part of it is league's full of really smart guys who will take away what you can't, force you to do what you struggle to do. Mm-hmm. Especially as quarterbacks, okay, you're gonna you're gonna have to do. And I think that Josh Allen, until we see, he was not an accurate passer in college. No, and I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback who was as inaccurate as he was be as accurate as he was last year. And hats off to him. And maybe that is a quantum leap, 
But I also think that might just be someone that got hot for a little while. And we'll see a little bit of reversion to the mean. That he's not... I, I have serious reservation. I do not think he'll be able to sustain that. I don't think he's going to be better than Deshaun Watson. And I don't think he'll be better than Russell Wilson. But he does have a great wide receiver in Stephon Diggs now. And I mean, that did unlock some things for him. And honestly, I wonder what would happen if Buffalo's running game improves by any means. I can't rule it out. I, I can't. I, I feel like there's definitely, I would say it's more likely that he continues to improve as his career goes on. He has an unbelievable skill set. And I know that you got mad at me when I said that, like, I think he's got one of the best skill sets that we've seen as far as a quarterback goes. But the height, the speed, all the things that he brings to the table, he is a, I think, he is one of those guys that I would look at and say, this is the person people should be focusing on instead of Matt Stafford as this, wow, once in a blue moon kind of a prospect. Why did I say blue moon? Once in a, you know, once in a 10 years, five years kind of prospect. By the way, there was a text in. I, I think this was a pretty good one for Matt Stafford. Drew Bledsoe. That's not a bad one. I could see that. Talent. It means you have to lose your job to back up a couple of different times. Oh. I've always felt bad for Drew. I love Drew. I do too. I, I shamelessly love Drew Bledsoe, and I felt like first losing it to Brady, the the best quarterback of all time, and then how it ended in Dallas with Tony with Romo. Romo. I've, I've I've always felt that Drew was he did he piled up a ton of stats from the five hundred nine. Whoever from the five hundred nine texted that. W- Josh Allen is better than Wilson, should be kicked out of the 509 and placed somewhere <laughs> in Central Oregon. Oh, Central Oregon. Oh, no. In the now, big... that, comes, that comes with the caveat. If you're putting that person in Central Oregon, you're putting them in a part of the state that's trying to become Greater Idaho. Oh. So you're really saying boot them into Central Oregon, which then may become Greater Idaho. Is that where the big fungus is? Isn't there like a There's giant a fungus? fungus? Isn't there a giant like fungus, in, fungi in, in Oregon somewhere? Klamath Falls? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, that's a city. That's not a fungus. I'm not a giant fungus. Yeah, like well, a lichen or something. I don't know. These, these are these are weird things that I just haven't. This brain. warrants more research. Our training camp coverage here at 710 ESPN Seattle is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Right now, it's time to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. So the Malher National Forest, also known as the Humongous Fungus, is in Oregon. It is the largest organism on Earth, Danny. Well, that's two reasons. (laughs) The Humongous Fungus. What a nickname. Malheur is where all of the... All of those dudes took over the, like the tourist center, oh. the wildlife refuge, a couple years ago. It's also there's a there's a campsite there that's dedicated to my dad. Really, he used to he used to go chucker hunting, out in Malheur. Yeah, and his his buddies that he that he bird hunted with would they named the campground after him. I've never been to it. Maybe I should go out there. I see the humongous fungus and visit my dad's campsite. I'm so excited that there's something called the humongous fungus. DJ Wilder, what's going on around the NFL? Our ADD runs rampant. (laughs) So, as we know, Aaron Rodgers had um, a very revealing press conference a couple days ago. Now Packers GM Brian Gutekunst talked yesterday, and someone asked him about the acquisition of former Packers wide receiver Randall Cobb coming back to Green Bay. And the reason he gave for why they acquired Randall Cobb probably isn't the best way to do business. I think that's a big part of it. I think it's a big, you know, obviously without Aaron, I don't think we would probably be pursuing that. Um, Randall's still a really good player. And um, seeing him last night just kind of reminded me of, you know, how, what an impact he'll have in our locker room for our football team. But, um, you know, this, this, was a, this was a very important thing for Aaron. 
and that's why we did it. So they did it to make him happy. They didn't say in that cup, but they did it to make Aaron Rodgers happy. You don't see teams say that, but I have no doubt that teams do these sort of things all the time. Can the Packers win with this tension between the quarterback and the the GM? We haven't seen it in a long time. George Steinbrenner used to swear by this sort of stuff. Like, hey, ship does not move fastest on calm seas. Like, get some turbulence in there, some friction. It's okay if dudes are mad at each other. The quarterback's mad at the GM. Work with they the Seahawks to, for, a, for a bit. Maybe it wasn't between the front office and the players, but um, I understand that line of thinking. They can, but they have to have a better defense, which is ironically the thing that for whatever reason, people take such issue with the Packers adding to over the last couple of seasons. You know, I would just quote a, a wise philosopher, you know, if it makes you happy, it shouldn't be that bad. If it makes you happy, then why the heck are you so sad? There's no there's no making Aaron Rodgers happy if this is what he is looking for as a general manager slash player. Ooh, we got an update from Ken Rosenthal. Baseball <gasps> trade deadline heating up. Hot stove! Jose, no, no. This is this is hot stove is off season. This is oh, this is this is deadline phone busy phones. One phone in each year. Okay, Jose Barrios trade Minnesota Twins ace likely sources tell the Athletic Blue Jays a pure leading option. Ew, lame. Those lame Canadians can have him. Go boo, go boo, or something like that at the T-Mobile Park again. God, can't stand Blue Jays fans. I've dealt with them online. I haven't even seen them in person, Danny. I can't stand them. They are the worst. They got mad at me for calling their uniforms communist when they were wearing those red uniforms, which were communist. You, you don't have red in your colors. You're the Blue Jays. Idiots. USA. Simba got mad at that. I, I want to see the Mariners add a starting pitcher, so there's a little bit of, I'm nervous because if it was Barrios or nobody, I want Barrios. I'm more interested in Kyle Gibson, and I'm really holding out hope for Herman Marquez, though that might be a pipe dream at this point. Yeah. I, I'm starting to think that this is that that we have seen all accomplished by the Mariners. No! Starting to feel that way, Danny. No! I mean, Jerry, after the move to get Diego Castillo, said this. We feel like we've accomplished doing what we could to improve our team now and yeah. to continue to improve our team for 2022 and beyond. And there was this quote that like seemed as if it didn't say anything at all, but I just got the impression that they are not pedal to the gas right now to make something happen within the next four hours or so. I'm holding out hope for Shane Bieber next year. Bieber. That's who I'm old. That's who I'm Bieber believer, DJ is. You want him on the bump for the Mariners? <laughs> yes, I want him towing the slab. <laughs> All right. Um, wide receiver, tight end, Kelvin Benjamin. He's calling for sabotage as the Giants cut him after the first day of training camp saying Joe Judge had an agenda against him, but of course left out the part where he showed training camp 18 pounds overweight. Which is saying yeah. something because he's been very overweight for quite some time. And Danny, this is why I look at Abad and I say to anyone out there, you have one job. It is to take care of your body. And if you're Kelvin Benjamin, I don't care about your issues. You have one responsibility. There's a reason that you're playing tight end as opposed to wide receiver. It's because your weight got out of control when you were in the NFL. And he had some good seasons, by the way. Like He, he looked like he belonged. 
his he is of blame here. It is his fault entirely. Don't disagree with that at all. And the the part that's weird about this is that he went and talked to reporters and basically said Joe Judge has it out for me. Like he's 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 undermining me. And then when you find out what happened, so he weighed 265 at the offseason minicamp. And they told him they wanted to lose him to lose 10 pounds. Like they made it we think you're too big, you need to lose 10 pounds. He then showed up for training camp at 268. He gained 3. And they're like, okay, we're going to fine you. And then he's like, they shouldn't have said that in front of the whole team. He's trying to make, he's trying to shame me or make me feel bad. And I'm like, well, dude. Yes. I mean, you, you, can, you can choose and say, I don't want to follow their instructions for what I do with my body. It's my body and I'll have it. But I don't know, man. I, I don't know if you have much ground to say, like, he's treating me unfairly. If you choose not to comply with what they're saying and then claim to be mistreated. They're the employer. If they told you what their criteria is and you chose not to do with it, you got to got to get deal with the consequences of that. You can say it's dumb and that they're not looking at what you are as a football player, but you can't be surprised that Joe Judge, who I do think is a hard-o coach, flipped out a little bit. Three pounds. Five pounds. Okay. Eighteen? Come on. That doesn't just happen. No. <laughs> as Eddie Lacy like, would say, I'm, I like I'm, China food. Like that is that is a steady diet of, of of carbs that is getting you up to that point. It is Danny and Gallant. There is a trial balloon that is being floated down in Houston that I have a serious problem with. And one of the NFL's top reporters is enabling it. We'll explain next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Would you like a lesson on how not to talk about the return of a player who has been accused of sexual misconduct, sexual assault? Do you want, do you want an example of the, the kind of things that you should not do that are very, very ranging from poor form to horrific mischaracterization? Is it so bad it's good? Nope. Nope, it's not. It's just bad. Here's Adam Schefter from his podcast. He's talking to Quincy Avery, who is Deshaun Watson's quarterback coach, works with a number of other players. And Avery's response to the question talked about sort of mental focus. But here's Deshaun Watson is facing 22 allegations in civil court, civil lawsuits over misconduct related to massages. Some of this is him inappropriately thrusting his pelt like doing things that yeah other of it relate relates to actual sexual assault there are 10 criminal complaints that are being investigated that includes two criminal complaints made by women who are not suing him they're not part of the civil litigants but they have contacted police about what happened deshaun watson is back practicing here is adam Schefter's question about deshaun watson you told me that you've never seen him look better how do you think he's handled all these allegations and con- that have swirled around? Because it's, it's got to be really hard to compartmentalize and focus on your football future. Well, there's so much crap flying around out there. That word is, I don't think, Yikes. intentionally used by Schefter there, but I, it sounds bad. No, here's the, the whole the, the problem with it. The problem with it is, is, is characterizing 
misconduct allegations as if they're adversity that a player needs to overcome. As if it's, hey, he's got an injury. How has he been able to focus? Hey, he's had disruptions that have been subject to him. How is he going to handle it? As opposed to, well, allegations that have been made about the way he behaved in a way that ranges from inappropriate to criminal. And that's how has he been able to how has he been able to really focus on his craft in spite of all of that? And I would say like that's the last one of my questions. That well, I would who cares? Have in this is my yeah that would that's my biggest criticism of that. And Schefter knows what he's doing. I, I think that that word was honestly I don't think I don't think that there was any intent behind it that he was saying that these allegations are false. But remember, Aaron Wilson, who formerly of the Houston Chronicle, had called them terrorists, the accusers, which is a much. That is where we're like, okay, that's that's out of bounds. I, I don't think – but I'm with you in that it does feel as if we're talking about the wrong thing here. I, who cares about what he is dealing with right now, you know? It is not important. And by the way, you don't have to car- compartmentalize a lot when the team that you're playing for currently has you playing safety in training camp practices. He has been lined up at safety, guys. Safety. <laughs> They're putting him out there as a safety and just having him stand there and I guess <laughs> just stay away from the action. Here's the biggest issue I have with all of this, and it's not about the verbiage that reporters use. He's practicing again, and the NFL, I believe, is running a trial balloon to see how mad people are going to be about him being allowed to practice. I don't think he should be practicing. I don't think he should be. There is, and it's, there is a series of allegations that allege a pattern of behavior that remains unresolved. And I don't think he should be practicing. I I don't think he should be suspended. I don't think he should be missing pay based on an allegation. I, I, I I don't think that's fair. But I don't think he should be practicing. And I think the NFL... Antonio Brown did significantly less, right? And he was placed on the commissioner's exempt list. Antonio Brown was considered to be a jerk and nobody liked him. And he'd been fired from teams based on how he behaved. And, and, and I think that it created a bigger PR problem. My problem with what the NFL is doing is I think they're allowing him to practice to see what the public reaction is. And if the public reaction is strong enough or the media criticism is strong enough, then he'll be placed on the, the commissioner's exempt list. I think that this embodies the exact backward nature of the NFL policies in which it's not about what he did and it's not about fairness and there's not a process in place. It's simply about how bad will we look if he plays? And if the answer is not that bad, they'll let him play. That's what I think is happening. And I think that is I, I think that's a terrible way to run a business, and I don't think it's moral or ethical in the slightest. The only blowback's gonna be in Houston, and I think a lot of people in Houston have checked out entirely on this team just because of the offseason that has been messy, and that was before Deshaun Watson's allegations came to light, and I think a lot of people there have already accepted that they've moved on. I think whatever fan base sees Deshaun Watson added to him, if there is some sort of a trade, I think they're gonna welcome him with open arms. And this is one of those things that has not been covered, I think, well. No one's instead, really talked about it. There's no one diving the into NFL the reporter, The guy who's the lead NFL reporter is talking about it as if it's an obstacle and marveling at the ability for him to focus on his craft in spite of all these things happening. Right. It's gross to me. So if I were... I think it's terrible that he's practicing. I think it's awful that he's practicing. I don't think he should be practicing with that team. Uh-oh. And what I'm specifically mad about... And what I'm specifically mad about is I think the NFL is letting it happen so they can see how bad the blowback is going to be and be like, oh, if nobody cares, he's going to go ahead and play. And if they yell at us a lot, if people are mad like, oh, and sound like me, then we'll place him on the commissioner's exempt list. But we'll base it on public reaction, which is 
it's a terrible way to make policy. It's a terrible way to to sort of discipline it, your workforce. Isn't that how all the leagues do it, though? Isn't that how baseball did it to an extent? Isn't that how how with their punishments of all the sign stealing allegations with both Houston, but also those other teams too? And well, but no, it's not because Robert Roberto Osuna got suspended. What eighty games? Mm-hmm. And that was based on baseball saying, this is what we know about this incident. He violated this policy. He's getting suspended for 80 games. Aroldis Chapman. He was suspended for some time. That was a discharge of a firearm. This, to me, reeks of, we're going to see which way the wind of public opinion is blowing, and then and then we'll do it. I think the NFL does this more than other leagues do. I think they base their discipline off of public perception. Definitely would explain the way that they handled... That Giants Ray, kicker, Ray Rice, Josh Brown, Ray Rice with the video, right? Because at Ray, first it was two games, then it was his lifetime, essentially. Yeah. And shouldn't you have a, if you're going to say like, hey, we don't discipline a player based on allegations in a civil lawsuit, we, we won't, we'll make a decision when it's done, come out and say that. Instead, it's just like, he's practicing, and w- is anybody mad? Like, there's, they haven't said anything about it. I, I think that's the wrong way to run things. It's bad. And I, I'm, I'm with you in that you hear that you hear that with Schefter, and it's like that he's already almost moved on from it. I, I, that must mean that a lot of people believe that there are not going to be many severe charges that he's going to face, at least in the short term. And uh, I, it sounds like it might be, Danny, any of the actual criminal complaints against Watson might not take place until after this coming season. I imagine there's a ton of stuff in Harris County where Houston is located that's been backed up on the dockets due to COVID-19 over the last couple of years, too. So... It's going to take a while, I would imagine, for us to actually get some sort of criminal resolution. And if it's just a civil case, how does the how does the NFL step in, especially if they're probably waiting for the criminal proceedings to take place, right? Don't they have to wait for that to happen before that they do their in their own investigation? So which 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 I don't trust anyway. Let me yeah. ask this question. If these cases are settled and we learn nothing more about these allegations, cuz that's definitely a possibility. And and that's not that will not be a referendum or a judgment on the validity of what has been filed in court. It will be that, hey, a, a financial settlement was reached that was the plaintiffs were willing to take that money and move on and felt that th- they'd receive the compensation. If he settled, is he just going to play with no punishment? Is he just going to be free to be traded? And you'll say, and then we'll hear this. Well, that was a situation. I've learned a lot from it. I never want to put myself in that position. I always respect women. And we've come to a conclusion. Are we really at that point? Because I'm not at that point. I think we should wait until he's traded to another team. Because I think the assumption is right now he's 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 there in Houston. But is he there? Again, they haven't played in safety. Like it's a punishment uh, at practice essentially right now. It's Danny and Gallant. We do have the news. Jose Barrios, the ace pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, is going to the Toronto Blue Jays. That's per Ken Rosenthal. Just reported that. So that's, that is a starting pitcher the Mariners were connected to who looks like he's off the market. We've got, what, coming up on three hours left, three hours and 20 minutes left in, until the trade deadline. Still the possibility of Kyle Gibson. We'll see if the Mariners make another addition after yesterday's trade for Castillo. Coming up next, we raise flags. From the pocket, and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. The Jacob Eason era, beginning in Indianapolis, 
Adam Schefter's reporting that Carson Wentz is out indefinitely with a foot injury. Those are ominous things, man. Foot. When a guy goes down with a knee injury, you usually know right away whether or not it's bad, right? Like they can tell. You can usually tell by the time you talk to the coach after the game. Hey, this is this is something. They usually know if that if the knee ligament is torn. They, they've got a pretty good inkling of that. Feet are just ominous where you just sit there and you're like, because <gasps> that could be he's out a couple weeks and it could be he's done for the year because it's a Jones fracture and you're not going to be able to walk on it. Carson Wentz out with a foot injury. Jacob Eason taking first team snaps. This depresses me in my desire to see the re-ascension to MVP form of Carson Wentz. I would say this is the best case scenario for you. Why because you, if he's injured and doesn't come back this year, you can at least argue that it would have been better and not be definitively proven wrong when he goes out and looks exactly like he has the past two years. But that's not honorable. Basura. That's Basura. not honorable. Honor. I must have honor, and I will not do such a thing. I can't. It's better to have the possibility of not being a fool than to be proven one. If you're an honorable fool, then you're still honorable. All right. Flags. <laughs> Should we start with DJ? DJ's been filling in this week for Maura Dooley, who was on vacation in Colorado. DJ, what do you got? I'm throwing a flag on the NBA draft, and it's something that I've always enjoyed watching, but it's just a combination of Wolznarowski just spoiling all the picks five hours before the draft even happens. Then there's the fact that if there are trades, it's one, it's impossible to follow because mainly they don't ever talk about it because I, I like Jay Billis and like, you know, Jalen Rose and all that on different broadcasts, but they're just talking and then you don't even know the trades happen. And then when the trades happen, you have these players wearing different hats. Like two years ago, you have Luka Doncic wearing an Atlanta Hawks hat and Trey Young wearing a Dallas Mavericks hat. It's like, okay, cool. It's just. The hat thing is awful. The hat thing is awful. The fact that all the picks are spoiled not just by Woj, but by Shams is is just it just ruins it. Because with the NFL draft, like you might know who the number one pick is, but after that, it's pretty much you don't know what's going to happen. I just think them trying to catch up to the NFL just on the draft, like the NFL draft, just has it so figured out. And to me, the NBA draft, what used to be fun, it's just not that great of a product anymore and I love basketball I love the NBA but man the draft just kind of stinks now and it's just a bummer I don't even watch it honestly the only draft that I'm going to make time to watch is the NFL draft I don't think the NBA draft does it very well I don't think the NHL draft as uh, we have seen with the expansion draft the NHL and baseball is that you're not going to see those guys for a couple years right you can't expect any one of those guys to have an immediate impact at least with basketball you're seeing the teams take shape but I agree. There's also stupid administrative things like what? The Oklahoma City Thunder. They traded a second-round pick to get a first-round pick and Derek Favors. Like, there's administrative things that happen where you're like, that just makes no sense at all. Like, that's this team is choosing, I will pay the salary of this player that was part of your role going forward, but you don't want to pay him and get a first-round pick for the bother. There's it, Yeah, there's problems. And they also have all of those draft picks as it is right now, which I would imagine. Oh, the, the Thunder? Yeah. How many yeah, they, they got have? 12 picks in addition to their, their own over the next five years. It's going to be great. They're going to draft a bunch of guys that you've never heard of. They might continue to stink. You know why? Why? They're not going to be good until they formally apologize to Seattle. Each and every resident of that town on bended knee apologizing for what happened and what was taken from us. How do you want your apology? Do you want it delivered the um, my mother, uh, Kitsy, way where it's a handwritten note if you've done something bad? Whenever I did something bad, I had to write a handwritten note to my mom. 
Every I, single I, time. I, I, I want to I hear actual remorse. And I want to hear a recognition that what happened to Seattle was wrong. You can do that verbally. You can do that letter form. Whatever. But, yeah. What, if, what if it's a newborn baby that has no idea what's going on? Learn they to write. Live in, they, they, they inherit the sins of the father. Yes. <laughs> the rare exception where we actually make that case. I'm with you. It is your fault you were born in Oklahoma. Yep. The- no, you got to live with it. You don't. You don't get to just say like I'm Tabula Rasa. I didn't do anything to do that. Nope. You inherited. You inherited ill-gotten goods. <laughs> Paul, what do you got? I am going to raise a flag to the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, a guy who I loved growing up, a Florida Gator fan. His comments on Texas joining the SEC. Quote: I can understand Texas jumping over. They get to play Texas A&M again. They get to, he paused, they can't win the Big 12 anyway. I think they've only won two in the last 30 years or so. Yep. <laughs> it's great. There's there's no it's bigger accurate. gap. It, there's no bigger gap between national reputation and self-image and ego and actual accomplishment in college football than Texas. All I, that money and so, so little. They, they weren't good in the swack. They're not good in the Big 12. And now they're going to go to the SEC. Good luck. Good it, luck. It's a bizarre football decision, but it makes all the sense in the world from an SEC perspective because now all of a sudden look at all the cash that they are going to bring in and one regular BCS uh, birther in the Oklahoma Sooners. And you also have Texas and the money that comes in with that too. So that's officially going to happen in 2025 per an announcement by the SEC today. I want to raise a flag to the new numbering, the new number system in the NFL. You like it? I, I do. It's I saw Carlos Dunlap wear number eight. I love it. Uh, I love it. Akella Witherspoon wearing number two was weird. And give me, give me new numbers. I love it. I, I am, I am fully into this. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I will say that Carlos Dunlap looks bigger wearing number eight than I yeah, think he, he was wearing number uh, 43, Dude, which six, he wore six. last year. Dude is a large human. Yes, I love, I love it. I wish the boss was still playing so we could have him wearing 44. Remember when the boss tried to sue the NFL so he could get the right? He he sued that they were infringing upon like his, his inability. Brand. His inability to wear 44 was a restriction of trade. Like he sued it under an antitrust exemption. It was awesome. I, I wish he was here to see that. I like I like I like the new numbering system. He was the boss was born too soon. He would have been perfect for the TikTok generation, right? I think so. I mean, he would very fun. He obviously made a huge name for himself in the '80s, which takes some doing at the college level. But I, I feel like he would be making millions and millions of dollars already now that NIL is allowed. He was not a businessman; he was a businessman, and he did it 20 years before Jay Z ever wrote that lyric. Wow! Look at you bringing it back to Jay Z. Ah, oh, Hove, young Hove. Why does he call himself Hove? Does he like to drive in the HOV lane? Paul. Is he Jehovah? That's correct. Okay. That makes more sense. <laughs> H-O-V-A. H to the Izzo. V to the Izzo. Yeah. Standing Galant. Want to thank the Professor John Clayton for hopping in the morning drive. We got three hours left. Let's go, Jerry. Let's get cracking. Let's get us a starting pitcher here for the Seattle Mariners as they prepare to take on the Texas Rangers tonight. Thanks to DJ, holding it down like gravity. And he is Paul Gallant. And, yeah, he's not sure how he feels about the number eight on Carlos Dunlap yet. And he is Danny O'Neill, And his ability to work 
rap lyrics into any topic still blows me away and also makes me feel like I am the most uncultured swab on this very station. Up next, the question, is Diego Castillo going to be better for the Mariners than Kendall Graveman? And explain your answer. Either way, we'll talk about it next on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle.